So are you guys ready? You guys ready? You got your Bible, iPhone, iPad, smartphone, as long as you don't have a Galaxy 7, we're in good shape because they blow up. But I want you to find 1 Corinthians, if you will, with me. 1 Corinthians, because I, I, I believe that the theme here is you're moving into revival. Revival is necessary for the existence of humanity. I've done a study through the years, years ago on revival. Revival is God's intervention to be able to sustain and continue cultures and societies. Once a culture or a nation goes into, in, into decadence, a downward Im, uh, immoral spiral, the only thing that can pull it out is an intervention by God. That's what revival is. It's God intervening in the affairs of man, brought about by the prayers of the people. But before revival happens, you and I have to have some type of renewal. Got to be something going on in us. So let me just pose something real quickly. I believe we're all on the same page in regards to that everyone in here wants a life filled with vitality, with passion, with excitement, with energy. Everybody wants that. Nobody shows up, nobody starts their day thinking, I want a dull, depressed, horrible, sick life. Everybody wants vitality. Everybody wants energy. That's why people flocked to Jesus. The Bible said power came out of them, energy. Everything God created has energy, everything. And all of God's energy is renewable. It always has been. So if God created energy and is the source of it, and all of his energy has a renewable quality, because it does, if it didn't, it would have run out. But everything, everything that God made recreates, creates itself and recreates itself, then wouldn't it be uh, normal to think that the energy that God wants to give us has a re constant renewable quality to it? But we have to tell, there's things we have to do in order for that to happen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, let me read it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, Paul writes, and he makes a reference, and I'll read it in just a moment, but he makes a reference to running. This is one of eight references that he makes to running in the Bible. He uses this over and over again, and there's no accident behind it. For him to use an athletic sport because Christianity, you and I were born to run. We weren't born to sit. We weren't born to lay down. The Bible says if you sit, you die. Four lepers sitting outside the gates of Samaria discovered that if we sit, we die. We were made for movement. We were made for action. Your heart beats You've got approximately, depending on your size and weight, but you've got between four, uh, uh, between six and eight liters of blood right now inside your body. That blood will circulate and communicate to every living cell in your body and return to your heart and do the entire process in two minutes, which means everything in you is active. Your heart right now is beating. Your lungs are expanding. Your mind is thinking, your arms move, your legs move. Everything inside of you and I was made for movement. So Paul begins to write to this church in Corinth. He said, do you not know that those that run in a race run all? 
but only one receives the prize. Then he said, and I like it, I like how he puts this, he said, run in such a way. He didn't say just to run, but he said there's a way to run. In other words, every, everyone in here would love to continue with passion, with excitement, with enthusiasm, and with zeal all the way through the remainder of your life. Nobody in here wants to run down, but everybody in here wants to continue to run up. The Apostle Paul came to the end of his life and said, I've run the race. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. Every person in the Bible had great energy all the way up until the end of their life. Moses lived to be 120. The great hero Joshua and Caleb were 80 years old when they walked into uh, the promised land and didn't, weren't looking for a rocking chair. They were looking for a mountain to take. Sometimes in Christianity today, we take the opposite approach. We're looking for a place to sit instead of a place to move. He said, run in such a way. And I want to emphasize that because something in the next few moments, I pray, will capture your heart and will create something on the inside of us that moves us off center. James Dobson, the founder of Focus on the Family, said years ago that the average Christian in Western culture today will only serve God with passion for five years. It doesn't mean we stop going to church. It just means that we're going through the motions. That we just show up and we look at the back of somebody's head and as soon as the thing's over with, we go our separate ways. That's not church. And that's not what God intended. There's an energy that can come. There's a life that can be sparked. There's a renewal that can happen in us on a continual basis. Now let me, let, me, let, me just, let me just pose this to you. When you and I, if you've ever seen, if you've ever run, which direction do you run in? Do you run forward or do you run backwards? Now I've seen people run backwards before. It's very odd. I don't know why they do it. It looks counterproductive. But when a person runs, they're always running forward. He said run in such a way to life is designed to only go in a forward motion. Even your car goes in a forward motion. I mean, look at, look at the windscreen compared to the rearview mirror. Try to reverse them. You won't last very long. Your, that car is designed to go forward. Have you ever ridden a bicycle? Bicycle. Bicycle. Okay, picture a bicycle. Picture one. Picture a bicycle. Now, now, put the kickstand up, get on the bicycle, and don't go anywhere. What's going to happen? Just try to sit on the bike and not go anywhere. What's going to happen? You're going to do what? You're going to fall over. Because the only way you can create balance is for that bicycle to go forward. The only way a life has balance is when a life goes forward. I was in the nation several years ago of Peru, down in the southern part of Peru called Arequipa. Chinchin and I have got friends down there. She is a Peruvian guy that married an American gal that built one of the largest churches in the nation of Peru. We've known them for, since they've been married almost, 24, 25 years. So I was down there a few years ago when I was doing their youth congress. And... Uh, I always get excited when they still invite me to do youth 
congresses. So they rented this facility and had all these young people, full of these young people. So night after night, I was about halfway into it, they put me in this hotel. And it was a really cool place because the rooms were built inside of a hill. I mean, they looked like they carved them out, like, you know, and just built. Anyhow, it makes no difference, but I liked it. And there was a river below. So I'm sitting there one night. And I flip, you know, typical man, you lay on the bed, you put some pillows behind you, and you turn on the TV. Just, it was, I was by myself. Ginger wasn't with me. So what I was trying to do, I was trying to accomplish two things. First of all, I was trying to hear something in English. Because all I've been hearing is Spanish, and I know enough Spanish not to starve. <laughs> so I'm flipping stations to get English. And then if I could find something, I figured it would be boring, and I'd get, fall asleep. So I finally went over to, I found CNN News. I don't even like CNN News, but it's the only English there was. So I'm laying on the bed, and I'm watching CNN. And while I'm watching it, the gentleman that was hosting that program had these two young guys that had done some research and he's asking him a question. And well, actually, they respond to him and they say, we have discovered that there are 300,000 active seniors, old seniors in America. And as soon as they said that, they went to this video clip and they showed a 100-year-old man playing tennis against a 90-year-old. And I mean, and they asked the 100-year-old, they said, who won? He said, I did. He's only 90. And then they showed another clip. And they showed an 84-year-old man pole vaulting. Pole vaulting. He's got that pole and he's running. Bam. Jumps up shakes himself off, and I'm, I'm watching this. And this has now captured my attention. I'm no longer laying on the bed. I'm on the end of the bed, and I'm watching this. And they asked these two guys that had done the research, they said, is there a reason for their vitality? Their energy. Is there a common thread? He said, oh, yeah. They said, yeah, yeah. We've discovered one common thread. And I'm, I'm getting excited because it, it's only one. I mean, if they said there was ten, that wouldn't excite me. Ten things are hard to do. Five things are difficult, but I can do one thing. So now I'm on the edge of the bed, and I've got the hotel pen in my hand and the hotel pad. I'm taking notes. I mean, I'm going to find out their secret. So I'm over there, and, I, and I've, I'm, I've turned up the volume of the TV. And they said, there's one common.
And now I'm talking to the TV. I said, what is it? And these two young guys said, we, we found one common thread. I said, you already told me that. I want to know what it is. And the interviewer said, is it genetics? No. That's good for a lot of people, you know. <laughs> you might have bad family genes. And then he went on and they asked, they asked these, the interviewer said, is it diet? No. Whew. That's real good news to most people. They said, no, there's only one. Uh, out of 300,000, we've brought it down to one thing. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm really, I mean, I am edge of the bed, hotel pen, hotel pad, volume high, yelling at the TV. Because I want to know what the common thread is. Do you want to know? Do you want to know? I want to make sure you want to know before I tell you. Because... Well, I'm just going to be good. This is worthy of a tweet. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? One common thread. Here's what he said. Here's what he said. Are you ready? It's coming. I feel it. I feel it. Here it is. Here it is. They said when they wake up every morning, they don't see their life behind them they see their life in front of them and when I heard that Philippians chapter 3 Paul said this one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind reaching forth unto those things which are before I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus life is never behind us it's always in front of us it's not what was it's what's going to be what is and what's going to be it changes it creates something because it allows us listen if you walk away from the sun where's your shadow your shadow is cast in front of you people that walk away from things will always be chasing the past but people that walk towards the sun their shadow is thrown behind them and they can't see it because they're moving towards something. As important as our past was, more important is our, our past brings us to our present, but dramatically more important is our present to bring us to our future. So why dwell on a past that I can't change when I can focus on today that I can do everything about. Are you listening to me? See, somewhere in life, if you and I are going to sense again the passion of God, the renewal of God, the energy of God, we've got to cooperate with certain things. And one of the things we have to cooperate with is to come to terms with yesterday. And we don't do it once. We do it on a regular basis. 
Because there's never a day or a week or a month that goes by in any of our lives where toxicity can't come in. Toxic thoughts will break down the human soul. Toxic thoughts will poison the body. Do you know there's over 1,400 chemical, adverse chemical reactions that takes place in your blood just because of fear and worry? That's why the greatest admonishment in the Bible over 400 times was fear not. It affects in an adverse way 30 different hormones. Stanford University in their research department discovered years ago that the average person thinks over 2,000 different thoughts a day and every thought, your brain is like an apothecary. It will create tinctures and mixes and affect the body in a negative or positive way. A lot of people become sick because they're sick in thoughts. They become unwell in body because they're unwell in their soul. And that's why we have to always on a continual basis deal and remove. We take baths every day. We clean our hair every day. We brush our teeth. We practice personal hygiene because we understand that our body picks up debris, but the human soul picks up debris. It picks up areas of toxicity, a little bit of unforgiveness over here, a little bit of complaining over here, a little bit of negativity over here. Somebody does us wrong. We've all had people do us wrong. Every human being in here has been hurt. And you've been hurt by the closest people to you. And when that hurt is rehearsed, it's, it's called resentment. The word resentment is an old English word that means to relive a suffered wrong. To resend, resent comes from the word resend or to relive, to replay in your mind the hurt. And as that hurt is replayed, it deepens and it creates poison on the inside. It drains off vitality. It drains off energy. It siphons off the very life that God put in us. As a, Are you with me so far? The very life that God put in us when we're worried about the future. You know, they found out historic. I mean, statistically, that, only, that 93% of everything a person worries about has never happened. Never happens. They said, what happens to the other 7%? They said, if the other 7%, 4% never turned out as bad as they thought, and out of that, only 3% actually ever happened. So we spend our time thinking about, worrying about something that the odds are 97% of the time will never happen to begin with, so why even worry to begin with? All it does is ruin us. Everybody who's in here is worried. It drains us of energy. It drains us of strength. It drains us of vitality. I keep on thinking, you know what it does? Listen, listen, listen. It robs me of today. And my future is built and constructed by my days. So when I drag my yesterdays into my todays, I get a reconstruction of my past into my present that becomes my future. But when I cut the umbilical cord of yesterday and say I can't change what happened, there's no time machine, I can't right or wrong, do I have regret? Yes. Could I change it if I could? Yes. But I can't. So God's forgiven me. I forgive me. I sever the past. I realize that today is a gift from God, and today is the day God gave me. I'm going to put my best into today, and God takes my days, and he uses it as the material to construct my future. Amen? Only moment we've got is now. And so now we pour our energy. Now we wake up every morning and say, this is God's day. 
I'm going to do my best, think my best, be at my best, because it's the only moment in time I've got. When I show up for church, I'm going to be on. When I go to work Monday morning, I'm going to be on. I'm going to be on here, on here, on here. Because if you and I, as an individual, with God's help and the Holy Spirit's empowerment, can affect a day, you can change a life. Because all a life is is the construction of days. That's why the Bible says so much about days. The second thought to remember, cut off the past, live in the present. But the only way you fill the present is through giving. A life that doesn't give becomes a life that will be self-consumed. He that has the most gives the most of what he has. He that has the least hangs on to what he has. Life is not in the taking. It's not in the wanting. It's in the giving. It's not in the getting. It's in the doing. It's in the reach. God is the author of life. Think about it. Everything God ever created gives. The sun, the moon, the earth, the water. Where does rain come from? Rain comes from the ocean. It lifts itself up. The clouds get together, they pull moisture out of the ocean. And they give it all, everything God gave, all, all major rivers empty into the ocean, recycle themselves and come back in the form of rain. Everything God created gives. When you and I stop giving of time, talent, and treasury, of our heart, of our life, of what we have, when we stop giving, we are actually cutting off the very essence of God who is in us. It short circuits everything we are. We were made to give, born to give. When we live to give, we come alive. The more a person gives, the more alive they become. The more a person lives in the confines of social media, in that respect, the less they give because their life revolves around what I call the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. It becomes all about them. And we push people away. We live in this little fictitious world. But the more we get out, the more we do community, the more we reach out. I love what you guys are doing up here. I love what you guys are doing across the community because you don't have a, a, what we call a, a Barbie and Ken doll church. You know, everybody looks alike, talks alike, thinks alike. We got, God brings the world together. Can I come down here? Can I come down here? It's legal to come down here. Praise God. Make sure it's legal. But, but the more you reach, the more you, life is not made to hang on to. There was a young mother. She was going to bring her son to school. So she was in the garage. The garage door was open. The car was going. He was late. She was honking the horn. The little guy ran through the house to get in the car so she can take him to school. So she did. She went to work. After work, she picked him up from school. She came back. She pushed the button, opened up the garage door, pulled the car in the garage, and she noticed that the garage door, the garage floor was wet wet water she soon recognized what happened there was a freezer in the garage evidently when her son came through the garage he accidentally with his foot kicked the extension cord out of the wall and the freezer thawed out which meant it began to leak water there was four hundred dollars worth of meat in that freezer she opened it up all the meat was thawed out now, all of us know that when meat thaws out, you can't 
thank you. You can't refreeze it. So she calls up her husband, who's a pastor. She tells him what happened. She said, what are we going to do? He said, we're going to have a barbecue. <laughs> Tell the neighbors. Tell the family, come on over. It's on us. Don't cook. We're cooking tonight. So they all came. He came home early. He fired up the grill. And he began to cook steaks, chicken, fish. Fed everybody. Everybody went home happy but him. He was laying in bed. It was 10, 15 at night. He was looking for a redeeming quality to this disaster because now he had to buy $400 worth of meat to restock his freezer. And so he prayed, God, there's got to be a message in this somewhere. You know, every, every preacher looks for a story. And so he said, right there in bed, in bed, God spoke to him. Want to know what he said? Do you want to know what he said? <laughs> I'm going to tell you, but I want to make sure you know before I tell you. I'm going to tell you. He said, God spoke to him. This is powerful. Anybody speak Spanish here? I'll oh, forget it. I'll say something. I don't know much of it, but I was going to say something. <laughs> God spoke to him. Laying there in bed. Freezer's empty. Got to refill it. God spoke to him. Listen, 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 listen. Are you ready? I want to make sure you want it. You know, preaching preaching's like eating. No woman wants to cook a meal for people that aren't hungry. She wants to cook. And as she's cooking and they smell the food. And they say, is it ready? Almost. And they're so hungry. Is it ready? Almost. And when the food comes, they can eat the plate. Because when you're hungry, everything tastes good. <laughs> when you're full, you gripe. Laying in bed. God, there's got to be a message in this somewhere. God spoke to him. Here it is. It's coming. I can feel it. I'm going to tell you. This is another good tweet. Life is perishable. If you don't give it away, the day will come where you have to throw it away. You can't save it. My life, your life, is a perishable commodity. I can't live my life saying some other time, I'm not ready. Maybe tomorrow. I can't do it now. Maybe when this happens. Maybe when the big break happens. Maybe when something else happens. No, no, life's not constructed that way. Life is so constructed is I take what I have right now and I use what I have with all that I have for the glory of God. Because our life is a perishable commodity. I've got today put your best into everything you do. And then, in closing, we need this, community. We'll never have renewal without each other. We'll never have energy without each other. I cannot live alone. 
Man was not designed to live alone, meaning mankind. Men especially, men get weird. The longer they're alone, the weirder they become. Men, were des- we are designed for each other. We're built for each other. We're made for each other because your destiny and my destiny is intertwined within each other. That's why God said, you remember the first miracle Jesus did? He turned water to wine is symbolic of Christianity. And where does wine come from? You're good. How do grapes grow? In clusters. Wine. Grapes, excuse me, grow. Grapes grow, grapes grow, grapes grow, 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 in grow, in grow, grow in clusters. It is the community of the local church. It's a description that the only way we grow is in the community of the local church doing life together with each other because as we stay in that cluster, we ripen in that cluster, then we're squeezed together, and then we're fermented together, and then we get intoxicated, which means our behavior becomes different. We call it transformation. If you choose not to stay on in the cluster, then the grape says, I don't need the church. Then he falls off. And when the grape falls off the cluster, it dries out. Then it shrivels up. And it becomes this dried up, shriveled up, mutilated, ugly, sultana. So our choice, we can either become a dried up, shriveled up, worthless little saltana, or we can do life together and become wine, the intoxicating force in the world that we live in. Amen. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet.